Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Welcome to the <laughs> Mike 22. We're in our satellite studios in Mount Juliet, Tennessee, uh, the Herndon household. Uh, Mike, how you doing today? Doing great. Doing great. How are you doing? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. We got an actual exciting, po- mainly positive yeah. Mike 22 ahead of us. This was a fun game to watch. Uh, we got a little bit of uh, Titans tidbits that we want to get to before the uh, actual uh, film review. But before we get to those, you can follow us on Twitter at Mike Miracles, at ZachWords85, and at FWordsPod. All right, let's get to some little bit Titans tidbits. Uh, the first thing was the surprising inclusion of Logan Ryan by Bill Barnwell in his latest, uh, I guess, quarter quarter awards, first quarter awards. Yeah, like quarter of the year awards. But I guess, the NFL rare recognition for Logan Ryan as a possible defensive player of the year candidate. He came in at number three. Mm-hmm. Uh, right behind Devin McCourty and Shaq Barrett, who both of those could, I see, falling off the list and Logan Ryan moving up because I just think Logan Ryan's that good. Uh, but this is what he says about Logan Ryan. Best cornerback in football is always going to be an inexact science, but you can make a strong case for Tennessee's top corner through four weeks. Ryan has filled up the stat sheet with 1.5 sacks, a tackle for loss, two interceptions, and six pass deflections, with the latter figure trying for the tying for the league lead. With Ryan as its lead corner in the slot, Tennessee has allowed a pass rating of just 62.8 to slot targets this season, the second best figure in the league. Advanced metrics also love Ryan's play. The next NFL Next Gen stats project that targets thrown at Ryan should have been completed 61.8% of the time. Instead, those passes have been completed just 46.2% of the time. The resulting 15.6% difference is the third best in football among corners with 100 snaps in coverage or more. Now, not really the first in anything, but just as top three in most everything. So, what was your What was your... Initial reaction to seeing Logan Ryan in there. I, I think it was surprising to see him get that recognition because, frankly, you know, one, he's a Titans player. And, you know, I, I know it's kind of a, a fan thing to whine about the national media not giving the Titans enough attention, but it is a real thing at times. And Logan Ryan was really good last year, and nobody nationally gave him the respect that he deserved. And we're starting to see. I think he's playing at a similar level this year, but maybe he's finishing a few more plays, like, you know, getting getting those two picks, uh, you know, obviously getting his hand on a few more passes. He's been challenged a little bit more by opposing quarterbacks, which we'll talk about why a little bit later, but um, that's given him more opportunities to show exactly how good he's playing. But I, I thought it was cool to see him get the recognition. I do think he's that level player. Um, I think he's elite at what he does he's one of the best slot corners in the nfl if not the best slot corner in the nfl right now and i mean i'd take him against almost anybody in the slot i mean you look at the guys he's faced so far jarvis landry muhammad sanu um you know the colts put ty hilton in the slot a good bit he's faced some you know dd westbrook 
He's faced some good good players in the slot. He'll get Cole Beasley this week, and uh, that's going to be a big matchup for the Titans. And if they shut Cole Beasley down, that could really uh, really put the clamps on that Bills offense. Okay, let's settle down with Cole Beasley being oh, the, no, con- no. the engine that makes I, the offense Well, move. He's, he's a source for a lot of easy throws. And if the Titans can make things hard on whoever plays quarterback yeah. for the Bills, I think it'll be a long day. Uh, for that quarterback I I for one was just shocked because I like you said it's not that I really hate that we don't get national coverage I'm just surprised because I'm not surprised when we don't we're we're a boring team we're a mediocre fan base and the Titans franchise has largely earned that lack of attention yeah we're nobody knows I mean literally when you listen to other podcasts and they have to talk about our game they're just like I don't know what the Titans are. <laughs> we this podcast does not know what the Titans are, and it's been like that for th- four or five years now. Yeah, and you know, so when I saw it, I was like, I mean, is that like just number three out of ten or twenty or something? Or is that just like one for every team? And then when I go and read the article, you know, he only does three in general, and that's one of the top three. And Bill Barnwell. He's a little mouthy, a little wordy. Uh, but, <laughs> I, I like, I but like he Barnwell's kn- But he knows what he's talking yeah, about. Yeah, absolutely. And he's one of the few people that, you know, I like to read his articles and stuff like he that. He puts in the work. Yeah. You know, he he legitimately knows these teams. So him putting that out there, I think that's, that's something that hopefully Logan Ryan can build on. And it would be awesome if by the end of the year more people jumped on a defensive player of the year being a slot corner first off but yeah. Logan one of our guys yeah absolutely um the speaking of interesting comments Corey Davis was on 3HL uh yesterday and you alerted most people that <laughs> he, he uh he basically called out LaFleur for a lack of creativity and committed uh Arthur Smith we have the clip so it's Mickey Ryan is asking the question, mm-hmm. and Corey Davis is the one answering. How ultimately different or, or similar is what you're doing with Arthur Smith compared to what you did with Matt Lafleur last year? Um, pretty similar, but at the same time, it's um a little different. You know, Art does um, a little bit more. You know, he moves guys around, and um, he's I feel a lot more creative. Um, you know, I love Art. He's and I know he loves us, so he he, he moves guys around, and um, you know just find find different ways to get you know guys the ball, which is you know what we love about him. Okay, so you heard it yesterday. What was yeah. your initial reaction when you heard it yesterday? Well, one, I I had just flipped on three HL uh, right as Mickey was finishing his question, so I didn't even hear Mickey's entire question. I just heard Corey's answer, and when he got to the part where he said, you know, he just flat out says. I think Art Smith is a lot more creative than Matt LaFleur. That kind of, I mean, it grabbed my attention because I'm sitting here, you rarely see a player talk about, you know, former coaches or even make any comments comparing coaches whatsoever. But for him to just straight out say, I think Art is more creative, I thought that was interesting. I mean, and you've heard some comments, I think, throughout the lead up, but most of those have been more oh we're really happy with what we're doing which all, all players say that you know no no players coming out aside from maybe a few of the vikings now after a few weeks and says anything bad about the play calling or their quarterback or anything else like that they're all gonna toe the company line and say oh yeah everything's great we're really excited to come to work and everything like that but dave is coming out and straight up saying no we think he's more creative than lafleur is interesting to me and you know 
I think we're still pretty young in the Art Smith uh, experiment here, but there have been some positive signs, obviously Sunday's game being one of them. And, you know, obviously this question being asked off of Corey Davis putting in a, you know, five catch, 91 yard, one touchdown performance is probably, uh, he's probably feeling pretty good about Art right now. I, I think for, uh, we'll talk more about this Corey Davis comment when next week when we have everybody in the studio, because I would love to hear Lebowski and Keith's uh, opinions on it. Yeah, absolutely. So let's let's take this. He says it's more creative, so let's look at what the, the we did against the Falcons. Now, mm-hmm. the Falcons, as we talked about on the podcast um, on Thursday, we talked about it being maybe a little bit heavier that – it was uh, our offensive success was a little bit more responsible due to a shitty defense. Yeah, and and it, now you still have to game plan. Every NFL team deserves an a- ample game plan. So the offensive game plan that you saw that Arthur brought was it just an outstanding game plan that took advantage of a crappy Atlanta defense, or was this something that? you think that it's just is now going to we're, we're clicking now we're week four we are clicking and this is who we are um it's a cop-out but it's probably a little bit of both um frankly I thought the game plan was good I thought they came out and they were more aggressive passing the ball early especially on first and second down which is, I think is a key a key number to look at for the success of the Titans offense moving forward is how aggressive are they on first and second down because that's going to tell you how they feel about the passing game and and they came out they attacked they threw 19 passes in the first half which is you know extremely unusual for the titans that we've come to know uh over the past few years and they had a lot of success with it they throw up 24 points in the first half really quickly um they got a little conservative in the second half although once i went back and kind of watched some of those drives again and how they went together i i don't know that they took their foot off the gas quite as much as I thought they might have. I think it may have been a little bit more, um, you know, they they did take their foot off some, but there were some execution things too in the second half. But um, overall, thought it was a good game plan, but I did think the Falcons' defense gave them some gimmies. There, there were some moments, the, the third and 15 conversion to Corey Davis, the Falcons looked like either someone lined up in the wrong place or somebody was – completely out of position after the snap because Corey Davis catches an easy pass and the defense is designed to basically allow you to catch something underneath but there was nobody there to tackle him and the guys that did show up didn't tackle him so you know credit to Corey Davis for making a play but that was some horrible defense from Atlanta and then on the uh on the first AJ Brown uh touchdown as well that was some pretty horrendous angle taking and and tackling they also on the the one pass that uh, AJ Brown caught and didn't score on, um, there was some uh, just massive coverage bust. I mean nobody nobody was following Brown. He was just wide open. Um, so there were some issues that Atlanta kind of self inflicted, but the Titans did a good job of taking advantage of them, and ultimately the quarterback played with a lot more confidence and and looked like he believed in the game plan, which is important. That's an important part of game game planning is that you get buy-in from your players, especially your quarterback. Well, speaking of quarterback, 
your one of your subheaders on your article says Marcus Mariota played an elite game on Sunday. Yes. Is elite too high a praise? I, I mean, cuz I, don't I mean, think I'm so. just I'm we're recording this on Friday and I yeah. just saw Russell Wilson make like some of the most incredible throws and had an incredible game. Yeah. So Marcus <laughs> is an is this is this be honest with me. Is this yeah. a safe space? Yeah. Is this just kind of like a little bit to get people <laughs> off your back on Twitter? Like you're just kind of, you know, no. making amends with them a little I'm bit? Not, I'm okay. not. So I, I really, my goal when I'm breaking down these things is never to be objective or be, I guess, subjective. <laughs> never be objective? Never be subjective in any form, any way whatsoever. Yeah. I'm not trying to slant things one way or another. If I see a guy playing poorly, I'm going to call it whether I like that guy or not. Um, and I... I thought Mariota played an outstanding game of quarterback against the Falcons. There were four plays, four four throws that he made that I felt were a plus plus quarterback plays. The first um, the first touchdown to or second touchdown to AJ Brown, uh, where he just throws a little bit, you know, the little fade over kind of the back uh, back shoulder and allows Brown to come back and and kind of make the catch over his shoulder in the end zone. That's a perfect throw. And got got the ball out quick, didn't hesitate, hit his back foot, pulled the trigger, hits his man for a touchdown. The touchdown pass to Corey Davis was an elite throw. That that ball, he threw that pass before Corey Davis even started to break down into his cut. And that's perfect anticipation. The ball drops exactly where Davis wants it to be. By the time his head turns around, all he has to do is stick his arms out, catch it. And then he did a nice job of staying in bounds and tightrope walking into the end zone. But that's an elite throw from a quarterback. And that's exactly what you want your quarterback to look like. Um, the throw that Corey Davis dropped was an elite play. He avoided the rush. He stepped up. He threw it off platform. He kind of had to sidearm it to get it around a defender who was closing in in front of him. And he hit Davis right in the hands. He dropped it. You know, bad job by Corey Davis. He made up for it later. But great throw by Mariota and then finally the last one was the deep comeback throw to Corey Davis Trufant actually has excellent coverage he's got outside leverage on Davis and almost kind of runs the route for Davis but Mariota steps up he senses pressure coming off of his blind side steps up to avoid it uncorks a you know he really throws with uh, probably with some of the best velocity we've seen from him this year and just drills it right between the eight and the four for Davis. Davis is able to make the catch with Trufant all over him. And it's it's one of those throws that at the same time that it makes me happy to see it, it drives me nuts because I'm like, I've seen Davis more wide open than this and him not pull the trigger. So why is it different today? And I don't know if it's, you know, the coaching staff finally getting through to him. Hey, you just got to cut it loose and let it go in these situations. Or if it was... He felt more confident against the Falcons or in his protection or anything else like that. I don't know what the answer is, but whatever happened between week three and week four for Marcus Mariota, they just need to repeat that every week for the rest of the season because he was he was really good on Sunday. Well, let's let's talk about uh, the protection because you, you bring that up. Nate Davis was in and out with Jamil Douglas. Overall, really great protection, no sacks. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like Nate did Nate Davis perform a little bit better than what you thought 
that he would actually perform in his first NFL action? Yeah, he was he was better than I thought he would be in his first game. Um, I there were some moments. I mean, he missed a couple blocks here and there where you know guys beat him on inside moves and stuff like that. He didn't really get beaten pass protection at all, which was nice. Um, we saw an instance of him being able to translate something. It's actually a clip that I pulled. I think the night after the game of him sitting down in pass protection. He's he's working against Allen Bailey, who's kind of a it's a little bit of an undersized interior rush type. Um, and Bailey comes at him with a speed to power rush and kind of, you know, gets a good shot into his chest and kind of, you know, Davis's initial approach was a little high. His set was probably a little bit high. So he gets pushed back off balance a little bit, but he's able to kind of replace his hands. Like by, by that, I mean, his initial punch goes high. He kind of misses, he gets knocked back but he pulls his hands back underneath and kind of hooks under and gets a hold of that chest plate for Bailey and then sinks his hips down and, and locks him out. So he he gives up some initial ground, but then he locks out and finishes. And that was something that Vrabel talked about them working on last week and, and the offensive line coaches drilling and then Davis being able to take that exact technique and apply it to the game just a few days later. It's really big, and I, I think that shows he's coachable He's trying to pick these things up, and if he does, if he picks up the technique stuff, you can just see the way the guy's built. I mean, he's a brick shit house of a human being. Like the guy is thick, like thick lower body, just broad, broad chested, like just a, a thick, thick, powerful build. And you could see. I mean, he had a couple plays where he just came in and and was cleaning up, you know, either a, a block for somebody else or cleaning up at the end of a run play. He's just blasting people and putting people on skates, putting them on the ground. Um, I was impressed with Corey Davis, or uh, not Corey Davis, uh, Nate Davis. We got too many Davises now. Um, I was impressed with Nate Davis's debut and think it's promising for him moving forward. Um, one thing while we're on the protection, though, I think the protection was a little bit better. They didn't help Dennis Kelly as much in this game, which I thought was a noticeable difference. Um, and that may have just been a confidence level of, all right, the Falcons don't have the pass rushers that Jacksonville does. Um, so maybe we can leave them alone a little bit more, but they didn't help him as much. The pass protection held up pretty good, but the biggest difference in the pass protection going from nine sacks in week three to zero sacks in week four is Marcus Mario to get the ball out quicker. He, he was hitting his back foot. He was throwing, I mean, the, the pass to Corey Davis, he probably got rid of that ball in about you know, maybe one and a half seconds on the touchdown to Davis. I mean, same thing on the uh, touchdown uh, on the fade route to Brown. You get the ball out that quick, it doesn't really matter what you guys in front of you do. So I think quarterback getting the ball out, and the numbers back that up, first three weeks of the season averages 3.05 seconds on average to get the ball out. This week, 2.4 seconds. That's a massive swing. That's from, like, slowest in the NFL to top five quickest in the NFL that, that's that's huge and it makes a huge difference to your offensive line and your protection so I think while we should give some credit to the offensive line a lot of the credit should go to Mariota in this case for making his protection look better and with Lawan coming back you would hope that if Mariota can continue to be aggressive continue to be assertive make make confident decisions quickly uh, we'll see fewer of those and hopefully no more of those uh, nine crazy sack games. 
Well, hopefully the emergence, uh, hopefully this is a trend because I think that both these players have already emerged as playmakers, but A.J. Brown and Corey Davis being involved hopefully is a trend. Mm -hmm. So I want to kind of focus on them. It kind of seems to be the Titans' MO as a whole that the week that the fans are hardest on a player or are so far out on a player, that player tends to perform. Uh, I think yeah. everybody was getting sick of Corey Davis. <laughs> and then Corey Davis comes and performs, and he wins 50-50 balls. And and A.J. Brown is the explosive guy we saw in week one that kind of was not there in week two and week three because nobody could get him the ball. Right. Um, the what, what are your expectations going forward for these two? Because it's very realistic. It's not that difficult of a thing to grasp when I put it out there. For both these guys to end up with 1,000 yards receiving, yeah. if we would quit not passing in the second half, I didn't really get that game plan. Let's, yeah. let's keep on trucking and, and run, uh, throwing was working pretty well. Right. But um, between them, they only need um, – A.J. Brown only needs 64.75 yards a game, mm -hmm. and then Corey Davis just needs 68.91. Yeah. That doesn't seem like a lot of receiving yards, and that kind of does for this offense for, based on the pass, but maybe we're taking that next step. What are your expectations for them going forward? I know that a lot of people think A.J. Brown's going to be inactive for about five or six <laughs> games. So what are your takes on these two receivers? Yeah, the whole uh, AJ Brown inactive thing is still tripping me out. I, I don't know what to say about that, but uh, yeah, AJ Brown and Corey Davis. The goal, you know, obviously Derrick Henry is a great weapon for this offense, and they they need to continue to find ways to get him into the flow of things. I think Henry's long carry for the season is like sixteen or eighteen yards, so he's due to pop one. Um, his numbers are actually pretty good considering that he hasn't really had that big run yet. Um, and I think they need to be patient with the run game, but I really think you go into every week at this point trying to figure out, okay, how do we get Corey Davis and AJ Brown the ball early and often get them involved? Because I mean, the, the stat, um, I tweeted out this morning from next gen stats, uh, they have a metric that basically looks at where the ball is caught, how many defenders are around, how much separation they have. Uh, how fast they're running at the time they catch it, all these other metrics. And they, you know, based on the chips and the shoulder pads and GPS and everything like that, and they can calculate what the expected yards after catch is for that based on how many times players have caught the ball in that similar spot and that, you know, based, based on computer algorithms to, to kind of calculate that. So they look at the yards per catch generated in those situations by all of these players versus the expected rate so whatever the expected yards per catch would be Corey davis and aj brown aj brown ranks first in expected or yards per catch or yards after catch over expected uh through four weeks and Corey davis ranks 10th in that same metric among all pass catchers and if you throw out tight ends and just want to look at receivers davis is sixth and brown is first so you know and that's out of 110 pass catchers total so those guys are elite after the catch. You've got to find a way to get them the ball as much as possible in this offense, I think. I mean, those are the guys that are going to be your game breakers. And I think Walker can still be a good you know, safety blanket, third down guy. 
I think Humphreys is kind of a similar similar role. And there's going to be games where those guys are more involved. But I think your A number one goal every week has got to be get 84 and 11 the ball as much as possible. Uh, A.J. Brown has 223 receiving yards. 111 of those are yards after the catch. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, it's like, almost half. like 10 catches. Yeah. Um, the Do you think that – what percent chance that they both hit 1,000? Mm, for both of them to hit 1,000, I'd say in like maybe a 20% chance. Oh, man. You're way yeah. down. Yeah? What are you uh, saying? I was thinking like 70. Yeah. I, I, 70? I, I, I kind of yeah. think that the offense – I kind of think that the offense we saw this past week is the ideal offense. Yeah. And it was jump out ahead and kind of just, you know, hopefully eat up clock. Not my fan. I'm not a fan of that kind of offense. But if that's the case, and we're doing that through the air, I know. think I think that makes some sense. Honestly, the way they're built, if they yeah. can jump out to quick leads, and then they've got this elite pass defense. I mean, we'll talk about the defense later, but the pass defense is particularly good. Yeah, and if you can sit back with a lead and then start to pound Derrick Henry and wear wear opposing defenses down, run the clock out, the Titans if they can race out to a lead like that can be a suffocating football team to yeah. play against. And you kind of saw it. I mean, they didn't end up scoring any points in the second half for one, because they didn't kick a field goal when they should have. And then, uh, but also they, they missed a few opportunities um, for some big plays and stuff like that. But it, you could see a formula for really great success. If they can kind of follow that blueprint. Uh you uh, we weren't going to talk about but you mentioned his name Delaney Walker yeah what's up with the game plan surrounding him it does not seem he's a part of the offense as much as I would kind of thought he would be I don't think he needs to be a focal point of the offense honestly I mean he's he's a good tight end um and he's a good player he's I mean he's kind of old you know he's not quite the dynamic player that he used to be Myself and Superhorn got blasted yeah. during the um, uh, draft thing about him probably not making it to 500 yards receiving. Yeah. Well, where do you put those chances right now? Do you <laughs> what's think he that's, at? What's he at now? Uh, I'll, I'll look it up. But right. I, I mean, there's only there was only a few. He had what 55 yards the first game, and he's he hasn't had much since. Yeah, there's only been like four or five at his age that have done that have done it and yeah he's, it's okay like tony gonzalez this, did it three cur- times he's currently at 162 yards wait a minute oh there's a missing game in there uh, uh he's currently at 162 yards okay uh i mean he's on pace he's on pace to get there yeah um pretty easily but i don't know i, I think there's a pretty now good Hump's chance in gonna be out there too now. yeah i think Ooh. hump will get more action now that lawan's back and they're not gonna be chipping but walker is gonna get that too um so I don't know. I, I think he'll probably given that start, I think he'll probably eclipse five hundred, but um I don't think he needs to be a focal point. I think he can be from time to time, but I, I think getting the ball to Brown and to Davis is way more ex, ex not only exciting, but just effective. It's it's gonna be that's gonna be how you make chunk plays. And this offense has been starving for chunk plays. Uh, over the past few years and now we've got guys that can create those even without us having to just chuck it downfield 40 yards 
Um, and that's extremely valuable. So I think those are the guys that you got to get the ball to. Well, speaking of ineffective, boring, and blowing <laughs> chunks, our screen game is awful. That's really bad. Why? And and that and the QB bootleg rollout passes, whatever the, the correct terms are. That I think was a a game specific yeah. thing because Vic Beasley is a hell of an athlete, and we kept trying to roll to his side, and he just kept like shutting it down. But the the screen game, yeah. Oh, what is the purpose? Because this was brought up in a group chat that w- we've had, and I kind of just threw my hat in the ring, and this is unsubstantiated. But a screen game, you would think, is something that gets the defense to move. If you're known for a good screen game, it should get the defense moving up and maybe giving you some shots over the top. I, I don't know. What is the purpose of a good screen game that it can bring to this offense? And why, when it's so ineffective, do we keep going back to it? I think the biggest thing a screen game does is, one, it gives you an easy completion and a potential for a chunk play without a whole lot of risk. You know, you see, you see screens go for big plays pretty frequently, and, um, you know, you can pop something without having to take the risk of throwing downfield into coverage. So I think that's that's one thing. The other thing it does for you is – slows down the pass rush a little bit because if you've got a great screen game all of a sudden your defensive lineman because you know the idea of a screen pass is you invite the defensive lineman upfield and you know invite them to come chase the quarterback and then you just throw it right behind them into that big gap that's left over and you know you've got your lineman downfield picking off linebackers and secondary players so um, if you've got a great screen game, screen game, and your defensive line, uh, your opposing defensive line has to think about, oh, or is this a screen? You know, it may slow them down just a half second on their rush, and that that can make a huge difference. Um, the Titans are doing a horrible job at executing screens right now, and I don't know, I don't know if it's a problem of when they're being dialed up. I one thing I don't, I do know. In the Falcons game, it, it was not Deion Lewis's fault that he was not getting anywhere on those screens because he had guys all over him the second he caught the ball. And there was, I mean, it would have been a miracle broken tackle for him to get out of most of those. So um, I don't think it's Deion Lewis's fault necessarily. He's just catching the ball and getting killed right now. But I think it's an offensive line thing. It's a timing thing. Screens are they take a delicate balance and one, you have to have a feel for when to call them uh, Two, you have to have your, your line and your quarterback and your, uh, your, your running back, whoever you're throwing in the screen to all kind of very much in sync, very much feeling the same timing of when it works. Cause a lot of times you're trying to catch blocks as you're throwing the ball and you know, it, it, there's a lot of moving parts to these things. So, um, the Chiefs have always been really good at screens. The Rams are really good at screens. And I've heard I've heard people talk about specifically Andy Reid and how he coaches screens and how it's you know something they drill and drill and drill and really take care to make sure that they get right. Um, and I don't know if the Titans just aren't very good at coaching them, um, or if they just haven't clicked yet. We saw it work a little bit against the Browns. I mean, they had a couple screens that were really set up in that game they obviously hit the one to Henry uh they ended up popping for the touchdown but 
there's there were two or three others that were very close to being big plays there. So I, it looked like they were closer in that game than they were against Falcons. So um, I would imagine we'll see them stick with it. They're still going to run some screens. I think they want to be a good screen team. Uh, it's just whether or not um, they can actually begin executing it. And Taylor Lewan should help too. Having a super athletic left tackle would would definitely help the cause there. Okay, you, you mentioned Deion Lewis and how it's not all his fault. Yeah. Paul Karski tweeted out, uh, He, I guess he sat down and talked to Deion Lewis, and Deion Lewis says, and I quote, I'll make plays, I am a playmaker. I uh, don't believe him. I think he's a fucking liar. Do you still think that somewhere in there is Patriots Deion Lewis that will make a play and be a playmaker for this offense? I think so. I mean... We where do you think he's at in there? We, like, where in the body is Deion Lewis's playmaking ability? I mean, he was really good against Miami and really good against uh, the Chargers last year. I mean, those. I were, mean, were Miami two is now games. 300. It's, it's been over 365 days. Now it, it has been a while. He has not made the plays that you know. Obviously, they paid him to come here and make, but I don't think that that guy suddenly died or anything. Um, I think he has shown moments like that, uh, the screen pass he caught, you know, not to cite the preseason as evidence, but uh, against the Patriots where he one-hands the, the pass from Mariota and then makes a couple guys miss and picks up a first down, That there's that ability still there. I just think he's got to get the right opportunities. I don't know if maybe he's in his head a little bit and he needs a uh, Eddie George pep talk or something like that, but... Hell, let's get uh, let's get him and twenty seven in a room here and and figure this shit out. Um, so let's move over to the defense. Uh, great great performance by the defense again. Yeah. Uh, so they've only allowed so far this year one game of twenty points. That yeah. was to the Colts. Or no, the uh, Jaguars. Oh, Jaguars. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that was aided substantially by yeah. Midori Jackson muff punt. Uh, so let's talk about this defense and specifically. Harold Landry had a pretty damn good game, and yeah. now I'm th- I'm starting to come around. Okay, he's at three three sacks. Is it three sacks? Yep. So on page you for in- twelve, you then. initially said ten or more. Yeah, I said double digits. But then you said that he would lead. The- I said he'd finish top five okay, or top ten. Like, we'll have to go back. We'll, and we'll have to check, check that out. Yeah. But but you definitely said double digit sacks. Yeah. He's got a lot of games left, and he only has to get seven to at least get you there. Yeah. I think he's going to get there. Where? What did you see from Harold Landry that? Uh, what What about this game did he do really well? You know, it was kind of interesting the way you usually expect Harold Landry to win with that nasty edge rush and and speed around the edge was not how he won in this game. He he and Wake both and uh, Paul Kaharski. I I had tweeted out something about. Just watching the film back, I noticed there was a lot of Titans players slipping on the turf and looking like they were struggling with their footing. Derrick Henry slipped and tripped multiple times. Uh, Cameron Wake, when he got injured, was on a slip trying to get around the edge, and it looked like guys were having a hard time getting their cleats to really grab into that field turf. And for a guy like Landry, who his job is basically to tear around the edge running at like a 30 degree angle uh you know your ability to get your cleats to catch in the turf is critical 
Um, and so he was really struggling around the edge with that. He slipped a few times. He, you could tell he just wasn't a hundred percent confident in his ability to get those cleats to grip. And Kaharski replied to my tweet, kind of throwing out, Hey, did anyone else notice like half the Titans team slipping that uh, several of the players were complaining about the footing, um, in Atlanta. So, you know, unfamiliar surface, maybe it's just, they weren't used to it, but I think that kind of slowed down some of his edge rush. But the good news about that, last year that probably would have ended Harold Landry's day. The good news is we saw him win other ways in this game. He won on some uh, some tackle in stunts where he was getting some help from, you know, I think he ran one with Isaiah Mack. He ran one with uh, Rashawn Evans. Um, different guys in there trying to pick off and kind of help him run games to get inside. One of his sacks came on one of those. Uh, the other sack came on a play where he was actually rushing from the interior and beat one of the guards with just a really nice two-handed swipe move. Um, and it was a really clean win, and he got the sack. So I think I think you're starting to see him maybe develop a little bit of that uh, interior pass rush and in, in the mixed bag that he can throw, you know, kind of the changeup he can throw off of that speed rush. And that's what we've all been asking to see from him for the past year now. And it's encouraging to see that have some success for him uh, in a game like this. And and Matt Ryan is tough to sack. I mean, not, not that he's a hard tackle by any means, but he typically gets the ball out pretty quick. And, you know, the Titans got to him five times. That was, I think the first time he'd been sacked five times since, well, he's only been sacked five or more times, like three times since, 2016 so oh, this wow. is pretty rare uh to get him down on the ground that many times well Jarrell Casey seemed to kind of he was finally seen in a game I, I guess I should say yeah uh, look he made somewhat of an impact uh hopefully a sign of things to come and what did you see from I think I saw a tweet a little bit of Daquan Jones love recently yeah. To dive into Daquan Jones, because I feel Dude. like he gets the biggest, one of the bigger bad <laughs> bad raps from fans. I, f- I feel like I feel like I'm kind of uh, been cast into this role as like a defender of Daquan Jones and uh, Malcolm Butler somehow. But uh, both those guys played awesome in this game. Daquan Jones has been really good this season, and I, you know, people haven't really noticed that much because he doesn't have the sack numbers, and you know, frankly, he's not going to have a ton of sack numbers, but. I tweeted out a play um, from this game where he beats the left guard like a drum. I mean, he beat he beat the Falcons' left guard so fast that I thought it was a screen at first, and that the guard was letting letting him go on purpose. But it wasn't. He just beat him that bad and got in the face of Ryan and caused an immediate checkdown that ended up going for a loss. So plays like that don't really show up on a stat sheet anywhere. I mean, I'm sure he got credited for a pressure for it on uh, PFF, but. It's not going to show up as a quarterback hit or a sack or even a tackle for him, but he's making plays out there and he looks significantly quicker. I don't know what him and Harold Landry were doing. Well, they're uh, playing boggle and stuff. <laughs> apparently, I, they were playing a lot of uh, board games. That's I right. know that. Yeah. So uh, taboo. Taboo's the game that they play. So taboo apparently great for your lateral quickness as a uh, yeah. three hundred twenty pound man. We got to hit that buzzer really quick. Yeah, so yeah. Your hand movements are are lightning fast. Maybe they put like the buzzer like across the room and like made them shuffle <laughs> over there to get it. The uh, so you you mentioned having to be a defender of Malcolm Butler, which still surprises me to this day <laughs> that after the being the best cornerback for eight weeks last year, yep. 
that only allowed like a 40-something uh, quarterback passer rating, yeah. that you're still having to defend him. It, it blows my mind that you're actually still having to defend any of these defensive backs. <laughs> oh, no. uh, let's start with Malcolm Butler, who was lined up on Julio Jones a lot and was just physical. And Julio Jones is a – it's like me covering you because <laughs> Malcolm Butler is – Pretty much way smaller than Julio, right, but he yeah. seems to just, when it's a physical receiver, that's what he would prefer. He excels against the physical guys, yeah. he Because he, I mean, Malcolm Butler is like your typical, like, junkyard dog kind of guy. Like, he is, he loves it. The dirtier and phys- more physical it is, the more he loves it. And you got to kind of love that mentality. And he ate Julio Jones's lunch a few times. There's, uh, I'm putting out the uh, All 22 defense later today uh, on Music City Miracles, so I'll show the clips. But there was a play on, actually on uh, Darrell Casey's strip sack, which ended up being one of the bigger plays of the game. That was a huge moment. Um, Butler deserves probably 75% of the credit for that play. He was matched up against Julio Jones, and he's in coverage. So he, Julio runs this specific route, and Kyle Shanahan calls it a blaze out, um, which essentially is about a 15-yard out pattern, but it has a hard biting inside like post fake before you break out towards the sidelines. So it looks like the guy is going to run a, a deep post, but then he suddenly breaks and runs lateral back to the uh, sidelines. So... Julio is so good at it that, you know, Ted Wynn of The Athletic, I think is the first one that I saw kind of coining this term, but he actually calls the blaze out the Julio route um, because he's so good at it. He, he's unbelievable at changing directions in a, in a situation like that. Well, that's what he was trying to run on this play. And Malcolm Butler gets on his hip in, in outside leverage, and he was in such good position that Julio could not even complete his route. Like, you see him fake the post and then try to go back outside, and Butler's just right there, and he can't run through him, and he ends up just kind of drifting downfield. And you can see Ryan, Matt Ryan, in the pocket. He's kind of looking, and he's patting the ball. He's waiting for Julio, and he goes to you know unleash it. You can see him kind of cock back real quick. And then he sees Julio is not even finishing the route and he has to pull it down. And it was when he pulled it down that Casey got there and tapped the ball out and, and forced the turnover. So Malcolm Butler making plays like that, that will not go down as a stat anywhere. It won't even go down in, uh, you know, charting stats that are, are giving you passer ratings and stuff like that. But he is, you know, like I said, about 75% responsible for that turnover, even though he didn't do anything about, you know, forcing the fumble or anything like that, but he made Matt Ryan hold the ball until Casey got there. So massive play there. He had several other, uh, you know, good contested routes against Julio where he forced incompletions. And then, uh, he also had another play where, uh, he jams Julio so bad at the line of scrimmage. And this is on a third and four in the red zone. Um, and this is actually, I think right before the half, they ended up missing the field goal attempt, but he jams Julio so bad on this third and four that Julio never gets beyond two yards downfield. Like the, they run the whole play. Matt Ryan ends up scrambling out and throwing the ball away eventually. Cause nobody was open. And, uh, but part of that is because Julio's still stuck at the line of scrimmage, basically out of bounds because Matt Malcolm Butler ate his lunch. Like he got up in him and stuck him right at the line and he couldn't go anywhere he couldn't get off his jam and it's 
it's fun to watch him just completely erase routes like that. He did that a couple times to Mike Williams last year in the Chargers game. And I, I don't know. I think Malcolm Butler deserves way more credit than he gets. Yes, he's going to give up some big plays every now and then because he is an aggressive uh, kind of risk-taking cornerback, but he does a lot of stuff that does not get picked up in the box score and doesn't get picked up in the TV broadcast a lot of times um, that is really impressive and helps the Titans' defense win. So uh, give Malcolm Butler a, a little slow clap and uh, give him some slack because I, I posted that clip of him shutting down Julio uh, and helping Casey get the sack fumble on Twitter, and one of the first replies I got was, about time he covered something. And I'm like, dude... <laughs> He's he's been the Titans, arguably the Titans' best corner for about like twelve weeks. Like you know, it, let's let's uh, let's move on from what he did early last year. Speaking of someone who's on the field for a lot of coverage snaps and has not seen any targets, yeah. Adore Jackson yeah. is quietly having an actually good year. Yeah. That it's, everybody because everybody thinks that oh because he allows three or four catches or this yeah. or that. He's only when I looked um, at his. Someone said, "Why is Adoree's PFF score so high?" Yeah, and so I looked. He's only gotten eleven targets. Yeah. A lot of those were at the beginning of the season. Is Adoree washing out that number two wide receiver or even the number one when he's on them? Yeah. He's not getting a lot of targets. Yeah, he he was matched up. Uh, he was matched up with Calvin Ridley a lot, and you did not hear Calvin Ridley's name almost ever. I think he only caught two passes, and yeah. I really thought Calvin Ridley was going to be a good DFS play. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Adoree shut him down. Adoree has really picked up. I, I think he's played really well at corner now. A lot of a lot of the flack he's getting right now is directed as special teams play, which is warranted. But as a cornerback, he's been really good this year. And yet yeah, teams aren't throwing at him. They're choosing to throw at Logan Ryan, which, as we just talked about, has been a horrible idea. But that shows you how well covered his guy like is. Like the lesser of two evils. Yeah. I mean, Adoree's been shutting it down and he he had a great PBU. First drive, first drive of the game for the Falcons. They run the ball with uh, Devontae Freeman for like four yards, and then they come back with a play action th- shot to uh, Julio Jones, and Butler uh, was all over him, didn't give him any room to throw it, and he ends up throwing too high and out of bounds. So it's third, third and six. They try to come back for a quick stop route against Adoree to Ridley, and Adoree shuts it down, gets his hand across, breaks it up, and then. The thing I loved about that play most, you know, is great coverage. Absolutely picture-perfect coverage. But Adore was fired up after that play. Like, he he turns around and he gives a little flex and is, like, screaming and giving Vrabel a high-five on the sidelines. And, I mean, it was as much fire as we've seen from Adore Jackson on the field since he's been here, I think. And I, I don't know if they were particularly fired up as a group to face Julio Jones and you know, sometimes you get geared up for like that big opponent, that that guy that you think, oh, you know, we're up against Odell Beckham, we're up against Julio Jones. Look, you know, we're gonna go out there and shut this guy down. I don't know if maybe it was that that gave him a little extra juice, but I loved seeing that from Adori. And if he can keep this up as a corner, the Titans are gonna be <laughs> extremely tough to throw the ball on. They already are, but I mean, th- this has been a really good stretch of play from him. Well. I, I want to continue talking about Dory because I pulled up uh, the premium stats on PFF and yeah. they do the coverage versus receiving. 
we we bashed Dory somewhat for his horrendous game against the Colts last year, the yes. first game against the Colts. This year versus the Colts, zero targets. They did wow. not target him once. Wow. Yeah. Which is insane that to think is, about. They did not crazy. target his side once. And uh so they don't I don't have because they didn't target him, I don't have who he was on during certain times. Yeah. But that's pretty big. Yeah. Like he basically was not he did not whoever he was guarding was not getting the ball through. He erased to. his side of the field. Uh then he was of course uh we have where the uh Jacksonville game he only got two targets and he allowed uh two catches. The the big thing is that he seems to allow catches yeah. uh, somewhat. Uh, I mean he allowed two and two and I think he allowed all catches that he was targeted on the other day, but what you're not seeing that sounds bad, mm-hmm. but being he's not getting a lot of targets, so it really doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean quarterbacks are looking at his guy and going, "Nope, I'm moving on to my next read," because Adoree's on him. Yeah, Adoree actually was two for four this past weekend. He allowed one reception to Julio Jones for 11 yards, and uh, Julio caught it 10 yards in the air and only got one yard after the catch. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Muhammad Sanu. Uh, he got allowed one catch for six yards off one target, both those one target, and then uh, allowed three yards after the catch on that. So that means three air yards, three yards after the catch. And then he washed out Calvin Ridley. Yeah. Two targets for Calvin Ridley, zero at all. No catches. The crazy thing about Adoree when you watch him sometimes too is he can screw up technically. Like he, There was a play in the Falcons game um, – the, the Titans actually ended up almost intercepting a pass on this play, but uh, they had a Dory on Ridley, and Ridley was running a post. And he actually he runs a really nice route, and he gets a Dory turned around. So he fakes to the corner, and a Dory flips his hips outside, and then Ridley goes to the post. Well, usually you get a good amount of separation off of the, something like that when you get a corner flipped around like that. Adori just spins somehow without slowing down and stayed right on him. I mean, he never was more than maybe two yards off of him and immediately closed that gap. And Ryan ended up moving on to the next next read, and I think he almost threw a pick that uh, Bayard was trying to get out of uh, Hooper's hands. But it was it was just, it's plays like that where you see his athleticism and his just ability to change directions and like effortless acceleration. That makes you think, God, if this guy can put it all together, he could just be an unbelievable corner. Well, let me we go, might be seeing that a little well, bit. Well, let me go back to the Browns game real quick about Adoree. Yeah. You know, he covers receivers, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he, the only receiver he allowed a catch to was Odell Beckham. Yeah. No other receiver, when he was on them, got a catch. Now, he allowed a running back or, or – and two running backs to to get some catches. And a lot of times those are like little flat routes, yeah. and he's in cover two or something like that, right. and he comes up and makes it. And so in the Jacksonville game, it was uh, just Chris Conley got one catch. Yeah. No, no other wide receiver when he was on him got a catch. Yeah. As we said, no wide receiver got a target in the Colts game. And then here we have Julio Sanu and Ridley – Ridley left without a catch with targets and then only allowed one catch or whatever for the other guys. Yeah. That sounds pretty good for a Dory. Yeah. That's and that's shutting it down. I think that people need to start giving him some respect. I understand the punt return thing. 
that's also on the coaches for putting them out there. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe they should not put them out there. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's my feeling. But Adoree's having a hell of a year so far. Yeah. That this is why our defense is so so very good. I was kind of surprised the Panthers were the number one pass defense right yeah. now, and not not us or the Bills. So mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of weird. But you're you're talking about an elite pass defense. Yeah. No, I, I think from a secondary standpoint, if you're looking across the board, there's not a group of five players in a starting secondary that I would take over the Titans right now. And you know, the Patriots are probably close. Um, you know, Gilmore, uh, McCourty's having a fantastic year. They, they've got a lot of talent over there, but I think the Patriots and the Titans, I think those are pretty clearly the two best secondaries in the NFL right now. What did you see from Reggie Gilbert? He was kind of everywhere and making he was good plays. Yeah. And Finch was a healthy scratch, which I find odd because I figure Correa would be the healthy scratch. Yeah. So let's kind of put that all together. What did you see from Reggie, and is Korea really better than Finch? Um, well, I'll start with Reggie. Yeah, I, I thought he was good. He had one really nice pass rush around the edge. Um, he's very he's very clearly a pretty powerful player, and I think they like him because he's a little bit versatile. They ran him as a in a as like a end four three defend or three four defensive end, and put Landry next to him. Uh, on one snap so I think they like that he can bring a little bit of versatility and maybe play inside sometimes as well as on the edge Um, and then obviously we saw him dropping back into coverage a little bit too because he teed off on uh, I can't remember which running back it was was it Ito Smith that he uh, completely creamed over the middle Um, but I I don't know I was impressed with Gilbert's first game Um, obviously coming back from an injury you don't know how much better he might actually be as he kind of knocks some of the rust off, gets his legs back under him, that kind of thing. But it's a good start from him. And then as far as Correa, Correa is 100% not better than Sharif Finch. I don't really – like, Correa is a very different player. He tries hard. He's probably more powerful than Finch, um, I'd say. But I just like Finch's game a lot more. Um, I really didn't understand the healthy scratch for him. I hope we don't see it again. I hope it's – uh, Gilbert and Finch behind. Well, I mean, honestly, I don't think Wake's going to play. So I think all four of them or all three of those guys, uh, Finch, Correa, and Gilbert are all going to be active probably Sunday. But um, yeah, I hope Finch, they need to get Finch out there. Finch plays well. All right, let's go into the expectations for the Bills game. Uh, we'll We'll do this real quick. We talked about on the podcast that we think you need to be aggressive, pass, and then, then run. Run yeah. run should not be your only – go and run, run, pass against this defense seems like a bad option. Like a, a mix of run, pass, 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 run, pass, 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 run. More passing than running is yeah. generally what we were getting at. Yeah. What do you think is the strategy to beat this Bills defense? They're, they're pretty – uh, hurt on the defensive line. Tremaine Edmonds is probably, from what we hear, going to spy Marcus, which seems to give Marcus a little bit of it fits when he gets spied. Yeah. Um, and then I, I will say this: their safety duo is probably pretty on par with our safety duo, yeah, Micah Hyde there. and Jordan Poyer. They're very good. Um, what do you think this offense needs to do and do quickly and correctly? Um, I think it's going to be a game where you, you need to get the ball out pretty quick and, and try to let those 
So I think Trey White's a great, great cover corner. Uh, you know, Levi Wallace, I don't know quite as much about, but I, from what I understand, he's had a pretty good year. Um, but I feel like the Titans still have the ability to win on the outside if they'll get the ball out quick and, and let their receivers make plays. So I want to see see more of that. I don't think they can go super conservative on this defense. The Bills' run defense is probably weaker than their pass defense, but um, if if I was the Bills, I would be trying to load up to stop Derrick Henry. I think that's pretty much what every team that comes and plays the Titans thinks they need to do first is load up and stop Derrick Henry. So until and it seems like stopping Marcus running is typically yes. second or third, yeah, which yeah. is typically what the QB spy is for. Exactly. And and I think if we see the Mariota that we saw against Atlanta, who was decisive throwing the ball, wasn't waiting around, wasn't taking his eyes down, that kind of thing, I think, you know, you make this – that actually, when you do that, you make the spy a wasted player because he's just standing there watching you. You know, he's he. you're basically playing 11 against 10 – You've taken a guy out of coverage. You should have more guys open. So that's great if they want to spy him, if you're going to play from the pocket and attack with your receivers. And that's what I, I think everyone wants to see him do. So if we see that, I think the Titans have an opportunity to win some some a win downfield with the passing attack and win in the short game with the passing attack and really open things up because – I don't think you're going to come in here and just run the ball down the Bills' throat. This defense is too well coached. They're going to come in. They're going to stick eight in the box and make you beat them in through the air. And that's that's what I would do if I was them. This defense uh, would would you rather see this defense play against Josh Allen, Matt Barkley? No difference at all. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's it's very. It would. I think it's going to be a very different game. I think you'd prefer Matt Barkley, honestly, because. I mean, Josh Allen's not good, and he's way more likely to throw the ball to your defense. And I do think the Titans will be able to confuse uh, Josh Allen if he plays. Like, I think Dean Pease could, you know, really mess with his head like he did Baker, Baker Mayfield uh, in week one if it's Allen. But I think he's more dangerous. You don't know when he's going to uncork a 70-yard, you know, touchdown pass on the run, you know, out of nowhere or break off a run himself and, and take off for 50 yards or something like that. You know, he's a, he's more dangerous. And I think this is a game where if Matt Barkley plays, I don't see how the bills really move the ball against the Titans. Like they, they might pick up if you know, obviously they're not going to just completely shut them out, but you know, I think it'd be 10 or less and you know, the Titans offense is going to have to score at least 10 to win probably. So um, yeah, I'm just not scared of Matt Barkley. Like, I, I mean, I'm not scared of Josh Allen either, but he offers some upside if he gets hot and makes a few plays. Uh, we talked about a little bit on the podcast. We're, we're down 0 and 2 in the division. We are 1 and 2 in the AFC, uh, conference. How important is this game? Because you're a believer in the Bills, and you think they're going to be hanging around in December and in the conversation. Yeah. How important is this? It feels like last week was supposed to be an important game Yeah. and a must-win. Thinking of all that, it really makes me feel that this Bills game is a must-win. Yeah, I, I think it is. I, I mean, technically nothing's a must-win right now. I mean, you're tied for first in the division. You're right there. You know, If you lose a game, you're just a game back. 
Um, and we still play everybody in the division at least one more time. So nothing's technically a must win right now, but man, is you're digging yourself a massive hole if you let the Bills get to four and one and have the win over you. So you're now you're two, you're really three games back of the Bills. Um, and obviously New England's gonna win that division. So that's gonna be one of your wild card competitors if you lose this game. Now, if you beat the Bills, they might fall to the wayside, but either way, you're gonna be even with them ahead of them coming out of this game, which is huge. So this is a massive game in my opinion. Um I think your wild card contenders are basically everyone in the AFC South, the Chargers, Bills, and then whoever doesn't win between the Ravens and Browns. So, I mean, that's, that's your field. You've already got a win over the Browns. Um, You know, obviously you'd prefer to win the division, but you never know what's going to happen. You're already in an O2 hole. Um, So I don't know. I, I think it's pretty critical that you come out and win this game and start stacking wins because there's games against the Chiefs and, uh, you know, the Drew Brees Saints um, coming down the line later this season. The Chargers, who have always had the Titans uh, number for whatever reason, at Houston, which we haven't won in seven years, at, you know, Indy, which we never win. So there's there's some games that are going to be tough coming down the pipe later in the season so now with this bills broncos run here you kind of need to stack these two i think i think you need to be four and two coming out of these did you know this has nothing to do with titans but did right. you know that the jets have never beat the eagles in really the, in their history really that's what i heard on the radio today that's an amazing stat they're zero and 10 apparently or oh i heard that gosh. on uh, around the nfl today it's it's hard to believe any nfl team has not beaten any other nfl team yeah i have not checked it but that's what they said that's interesting okay i believe this guys they're, right. they're generally trustworthy what do you think the what do you think the score will score will be on <laughs> sunday and what do you want the score to be on sunday uh, a realistic one i think I think the Titans end up winning like seventeen to seven or something like that. Yeah, you know, I I don't have any faith in this Bills offense to be able to move the ball against the Titans defense. The Bill, the the Titans defense, I think is legit, borderline elite, um, and maybe already elite. Uh, so I don't, I don't think there's gonna be a lot of points scored. I think the Titans can do enough to eke out seventeen at home and maybe get a turnover or a pick six or something like that off of the Bills. So, but. What I want the score to be, I don't know, like fifty to nothing. Like well, I said, realistically, <laughs> what do you want? A realistic one. I think a realistic one is uh, twenty-eight to three. Twenty-eight to three. I mean, yeah. yeah, that'd be a solid. That'd be a solid beat down. It, you know, this is a chance, honestly, for the Titans' defense because the Bills' defense has all this respect, and you know, obviously, the, everyone considers the Patriots' defense to be the best in the league at this moment, and that rightfully so. But it's a showdown between two great defenses. If the Titans come out and put a whooping on the Bills, you can start to see people maybe go, oh, man, this Titans defense is pretty good. You know, look at these. Yeah. You know, they're fourth in scoring defense right now after being third last year. So this isn't anything new, but uh, it's a chance to against an opponent that most people respect right now to kind of come out and make a statement. All right. Well, that is it for the Mike 22. Yeah. Uh, you can, Like I said, you can follow us on Twitter at – Mike Miracles at ZachWords85 at FWordsPod. Then the Mike22 defensive uh, article will be out later today. This podcast should yes. be out before the article because I'm going to upload it <laughs> as soon as we leave. Perfect. Uh, other than that, 
You've just been F. You have been F.